The following message was recorded Wednesday, October 18, 2023. Pastor Ritt continues our study of the book of Ezekiel. Tonight he covers the first two of seven oracles against the nation of Egypt. And now, here's Pastor Ritt. Anyway, we're back in Ezekiel. We're in Ezekiel 29. But before I get to 29, John Mike, it's a little warm in here. Yeah, it's a little warm in here. I'm going to fall asleep. If you're comfortable, I'm warm. <laughs> Ezekiel 29 is where we are, but let's review where we've been now. The first 24 chapters of Ezekiel, what is he talking about? What is it, Deborah? Judgment, judgment of what? No, no. First 24 chapters are judgment against Jerusalem and Judah. The judgment against Jerusalem and Judah is for two reasons, and Jeremiah makes that clear. He said he had two things against his people. What were they? No, no, no. That's Gentile judgment. That's, that's the Gentile judgment or the judgment of God by the Gentile nations of the world is because they have dispersed my people, Israel, and you have divided my land. That's judge, Gentile judgment. When we talk about the judgment of Israel and Judah in the Old Testament, and they're not being judged today by God. God's reestablished them in the land. Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, 38. We're going to see all of that maybe soon. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll have Ezekiel share it with us in heaven because it's that close. But Nonetheless, Jeremiah said, for two reasons. One, you have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, from which all life springs. We have no life within ourselves. It has to come from him, right? And you've hewed out for yourself cisterns which hold no water because of their idolatry, their idolatrous worship. Hmm? And they were trusting in themselves. And so much of that is true of what's happening in our culture. And, and, and that's still true of secular uh, Israel today, but God is going to awaken them. By God's grace, all Israel will be saved. Not every Jew, but national Israel will be saved. Okay, so the first 24 chapters of Ezekiel, God is judging Judah and Jerusalem for their sin of idolatry. Jeremiah tells us where they're going. Where are they going? To Babylon. Yeah, they're going to Babylon for how long? 70 years. They're going to Babylon for 70 years. For what purpose? What's God going to do while they're in Babylon? He's going to let the land rest, and he's going to remove their idolatrous hearts from them. They'll never have, a, after the 70-year captivity, you see, if you study the Israelology of the Bible, they didn't have problems with idols after that. They had their belly full of idols, you know? What are the things that God's trying to work out of you, out of me, Right? Hmm. He's been working on me for 43 years. He's still got a lot to go, right? How about you? Yeah, but he's going to have his way. He's going to accomplish what he desires to accomplish. Now, as we move from chapter 24, those first 24 chapters being God's pronouncement of judgment, his accusations, proven accusations against them, not like today. Did Israel bomb that hospital? No. Did they? No. Are you sure? How do you know they didn't? Yeah, there's overwhelming technical evidence that this was done by themselves. And there weren't 500 people killed, okay? But all of this is propaganda. Libel against the Jews. What, what was the libel in Europe against the Jews that all of, it, all of Europe hated the Jews? The blood libels. What was the blood libel? That they, they abducted the children of Gentiles. And just before Passover, they would kill them, drain their blood, and make matzah. You know, Europeans believe that. I'm serious. 
They believe that, and that's why the Jews are so persecuted in Europe. And you know how to promote that? The Catholic Church. And I, mean, I, I was a Catholic for 30 years. Unbelievable. Hmm. Just like today. Oh, Israel bombed that hospital. We have three congresswomen. I don't know if women really describes them, but nonetheless, they are filled with this uh, Hamas or Islamic propaganda. Comes from the pit of hell. But it's amazing to me how many world leaders are buying this lie. And who's the father of all lies? Satan. Satan. Does Satan have any real power over you? No. When we get to heaven and we see Satan for who he really is, what are we going to say? You? You? Look at you. You're nothing. Nothing. But what's his power? His lying tongue. It's amazing how lies will destroy lives, nations, people, families. Hmm? Well, nonetheless, so we moved into chapter 25, and we began to see the pronouncement of the judgment of the nations surrounding Israel that were treating Israel unjustly or um, persecuting them, having a prejudice against them. And there were seven nations in particular. Remember any of the first few? Ammon? Moab? Edom? Philistia? Philistia? Tyre? One more. Tyre and Sidon. Okay, that's the first six. Now we got one more to go. There's seven in total that he's going to be talking about Gentile nations that he's judging at this point until the end of chapter 32. And the seventh nation is the one we're going to be talking about tonight, which is? Egypt. Egypt is number seven. Okay, so what we have now from chapter 29 to chapter 32 was going to be seven oracles. What's an oracle? It's a message from God. It's a message from God through his appointed uh, delegate, whoever it might be. In this case, it is Ezekiel. So there's going to be seven oracles, messages that God is giving to Egypt about their total destruction. Uh, for what reason? And it's only temporary. It's going to be for 40 years. Israel is going to go into captivity for 70 years. Egypt was judged for 40 years. But what was the purpose for the, the judgment? What generation, what, what, what did we call that generation after World War II? The greatest generation. Why? Because of what they did. Right? Now, listen, my father, my, all of my uncles, they were all in World War II. And they all served proudly. But the problem is that P word, what is it? Pride, pride, pride. And I carry way too much of it. I don't, you probably don't. I know probably, God's probably dealt with you on that. But he's still dealing with me on my pride. Ugly thing, isn't it? Yeah. But because of their pride, they said, we are the greatest generation. We did it. Who, who helped us defeat that axis of evil? God. Why did we never give him the credit? Why do we never give God his due? And do you know what's happened historically for the military of the United States? Since World War II, we have not won a conflict or a war. We retreated in humiliation in Vietnam, Korea, was never really settled. You know the problems we have today with North Korea. Uh, Afghanistan, after 20 years of all that blood, all of that treasure, and we leave with such humiliation. You know, we haven't won a military conflict or battle since World War II. Why? Because we took credit for it. The pride of America. Well, that's precisely why he's judging Egypt. Egypt, and the pharaoh in particular, believes he's God. 
And then he, now what was the one natural resource that Egypt had that they worshipped? The Nile River. The Nile River. And, the, and we're going to see that the Pharaoh, he believed he created the river. Now that's in violation to what the Word of God tells us. In Genesis 1 1, it says, In the beginning, the heavens and the earth, right? All things, right? But Pharaoh believed he created the Nile. He created the river and his pride and his arrogance. Oh, we have so many self made men today and women, don't we? Believe that they're a product of chance. Time plus matter plus chance equals you? No, not hardly. But then they act like gods, don't they? They think they can create life, violate so many of the, the sacred aspects of life. Consider marriage. We've understood what marriage has been for millennium, six in particular. And now all of a sudden we're redefining marriage, that it's no longer between one biological man, one biological woman. Hmm? And God. How we question the existence of God, or even the need for God, and our arrogance, and our pride. So make no mistake, just like as in Egypt, just like as in Judah of old, Israel, the northern kingdom prior to Judah being judged, we're going to be judged for our pride and our arrogance, for our turning away from God, the fountain of living water, hewed out for ourselves, cisterns of pleasure, of materialism, of pride. Hmm? Oh, I was thinking we might get through four chapters, but I don't think that's possible. <laughs> How many oracles did I say there were? Seven. seven. There's seven oracles. Six of them are dated very specifically, so we know exactly when they occurred. But it's interesting, he'll keep going through this message of judgment in four chapters, four or five chapters. Yeah. And he'll continue to say, and they will know that the Lord, I am the Lord their God. I am the Lord their God, right? God is declaring himself and bearing witness of himself, not through salvation, but through... Isn't that interesting? Hmm. All things exist for the glory of God. Is that true? Absolutely. Yeah. The devil's who's devil? He's God's devil. The devil won't exist one moment longer than God desires him to. Does God use the devil for his glory? Yeah. Not willing it, not willing, but, but God will use it for his glory nonetheless, right? For all things work together for good. Does God use evil? For his glory? Surely he does. And so when we see the glory of God manifest over evil, it's in judgment. And in judgment, it glorifies the God of heaven and earth. So we said there are seven oracles. Six of the seven are dated. And as we go through it, I'll show you that. Uh, but this first one, chapter 29, verse 1. Let's pray one more time. Lord, uh, there's much to digest here, much that isn't just in the print, Lord, but in what you want to teach us this evening, Lord, in application into our own lives and hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to me and to those in my hearing, whether here in the sanctuary or over the internet, Lord, that you'd speak to all of us as we look at these judgments against the nation of Egypt for its pride, its arrogance, it's haughtiness, Lord. Much like our world today, so many people, they don't know and they don't care. They are ignorant and apathetic. Lord, wherever that may exist in our lives, ask that you remove it, Lord, for your glory. In your name, amen. So this is the first oracle of the seven. In the tenth year, in the tenth month, on the twelfth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. When was that? 
Let's see. Do your math. Okay. You're right, Deborah. January 5th, 587 BC. Very good. Very good. I don't know how you knew that, but you did. This is January 5th, 587 BC. The word of the Lord came to me, to Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, set your face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Which Pharaoh is this? Pharaoh Hufarah. Hufarah. And he would be the Pharaoh. He reigned from 589 to 570. So he's the Pharaoh being spoken of here. Thought he was a god. Thought he created the Nile. How deluded people can be, can't they? The delusion that they live in. This is against Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and prophesy against him and against all Egypt. Speak and say, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Pharaoh, king of Egypt, O great monster who lies in the midst of the rivers. Now he saw himself as a great god. He saw himself as this mystical beast with all power, all control, uh, reigning over the Nile River, you know, the king of the river. And so God is questioning him. He's calling him not, not, a, not, one, not one to be glorified, but it was a monstrosity. He's a beast. He's a monster who lies in the midst of the river who said, my river is my own. I have made it for myself. Really? Wow. Hmm. Now, we know, we know how all of this got started. We know how uh, we've been advanced in our civilization, right? Come on, we're coming to that awareness now. Aliens. It's aliens, isn't it? <laughs> oh, well, we're going to talk about aliens here in a moment if we get that far. But I put hooks in your jaws and cause your fish of your rivers to stick to your scales. Those, those who would be aligned to her, those that are helping, aiding and abetting her, right? I will bring you out in the midst of your rivers and all of the fish of your rivers will stick to your scales. I will leave you in the wilderness, you and all of the fish on your rivers. You shall fall on the open field. You shall not be picked up or gathered. I have given you as food to the beasts of the field, to the birds of the heavens. You know, when, when uh, Job, you know, are dinosaurs mentioned in the Bible? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Dinosaurs are mentioned in the Bible. But we don't call them dinosaurs in the Bible. We call them by God, what God calls them. Nomenclature is important. But in the book of Job, two dinosaurs are mentioned. The first one is the behemoth. And the behemoth, when you look at the description, he's got a tail as big as a cedar tree. Right? A tail as big as a cedar tree. And when he stands in the river, and no matter how the rivers may be raging, it could be in the spring of the year, it's not moved. It's mighty. It's powerful. The ground shakes under its feet. What is that? The Bible calls it a brontosaurus. The Bible calls it a behemoth, but in actuality, it's a brontosaurus. Now, there's another terrifying creature that God mentions to Job, because God is mentioning that, I've created these beasts, Job. Can you control them? Could man at that time have any control over these beasts? No. And what was the most, one that was most terrifying? The Leviathan. And what was a Leviathan? A T-Rex. A Leviathan was a T-Rex. Monstrous beast. You couldn't control it, right? And, and so what Pharaoh thought of himself is that he was this powerful creature, God, creator of the Nile, that no one could ever defeat, no one could ever displace, right? And God is saying, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw. I'm going to drag you out. I'm going to leave you in the desert to rot, you and everyone who supports you. Hmm? Is Israel going to be defeated? No. No? How do you know that? The odds are overwhelming. God's going to intervene. We, we know that before the apocalypse, before the war of Armageddon, before the war that ends all wars, 
Thank you, Jesus. Before that takes place, there's another conflict that the Bible describes later on in the latter chapters of Ezekiel that we'll get to, where there's a confederation of nations that come against Israel in the latter days and the last days. Whenever you see that expression, it's always talking about the end of time. Consummation of the age. Finished. We're running out of time now, aren't we? Time is about up. You see? 11.59. But when that takes place, it's going to look, oh my goodness, this is a David and Goliath situation. There's no way this David is going to defeat this Goliath. Defeat this Goliath. And God does intervene. So every Jew should take heart, particularly Messianic Jews, should be sharing all that they can, the truth of God's word with their brothers and sisters in Israel, that God has promised to preserve them as a nation, only nation on the face of the earth that has a favored nation status in the eyes of God is Israel. God has promised Israel will exist for how long? Forever. Forever. As Billy Graham would say, forever and ever. <laughs> so that should bring them comfort. And it should bring us comfort, too, to know that our God is sovereign and he's in control. Egypt thought they were in control. At this time, why was Egypt so important in the life of Judah, Jerusalem, Israel? Military alliance. They, they were not, remember, Babylon is coming against Judah in judgment because God had determined that he would use Babylon as a rod of instrument of judgment against the nation for their sins, their idolatry, forsaking the Lord. So the first deportation of the Jews from Israel to Babylon was when? When? 605. Who went at 605? Daniel. Daniel. And who else? His three friends, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah, right? Not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are pagan names, right? Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah, 605. And Daniel got carried away with them. Who else got carried away? This is, when, the, when was the next, the second deportation? And who got carried away then? Ezekiel. Our friend Ezekiel. Ezekiel was carried away in that deportation, 597 BC. Now, the last and final deportation after Babylon comes in and destroys the nation will be when? 586, 586. And that was all, all of that was prophesied. They should have understood and knew all of that. But uh, suffice it to say that God is going to preserve them as a people, but they were not trusting him at that time. And he's going to be judging them. Now, where do I want to go with this? Uh, yes, the alliances. So they took Jehoiakim and they carried him back to Babylon. He was the king. And who did they put in his place? Uh, Zedekiah. Zedekiah. Thank you, Zedekiah. Now, Zedekiah was supposed to be submitted to Babylon, paying tribute and etc., etc. Well, they didn't want to be under the yoke of Babylon. And Jeremiah kept telling them, you need to submit to God's judgment. What do you do when God begins to chastise you? That's the best thing to do is submit. Just, just submit to it, okay? Own it, submit to it. Lord, you got me. I did it. I'm guilty, right? And then, and then just go ahead and suffer whatever you Remember, God gave David three choices. Choose one of three. How would you like to be judged? Remember? Ooh, don't want to be under the hand of man. He said, God, I'm going to leave it to you. Whatever you want to do to me, I'll submit to it. Well, Israel was being judged, and Jeremiah kept telling them, look, just submit. 
when you get to Babylon, here's what I want you to do. What, what did he tell them to do? Build houses, build a future, marry, have children, let your children be married, let, you know, it's, and just, just build a life for yourself there. And this, the peace of that city, Babylon, will be your peace. Now, what did that sound like to all of the other people in Jerusalem when Jeremiah was saying that? Traitor. Traitor. But it was, this was God speaking. But there were the false prophets telling the people, oh, no, no, no. And, and after, after that second deportation, no, no, in two years' time, all the people will return. All the articles of the house of God will be reestablished again as a nation. And they beat Jeremiah. They almost took his life. They ended up doing that when he went down to Egypt, if you remember, in your history. But nonetheless, it's unfortunate that they wouldn't heed the word of the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah, where they were just to submit. Because how long was the captivity? Seven years, but they didn't believe that. Jeremiah 29.10, what's that verse that everybody quotes? Turn there for a moment. Jeremiah 29. So important that you understand. What's king when we interpret the Bible? Context. Context is always king. Keep it in its context if you're going to understand the text. Look at verse, chapter 29, verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, or, nor listen to your dreamers which, cause you to, which you cause to be dreamed. Who caused these dreams to occur? They did. Have you, have you noticed on YouTube all these people have a dream and a vision? How God is speaking to all these people? And if you pay attention to what the message is, it's always about their prosperity? Their peace, the blessing that comes upon them, it's amazing. Yeah. We could name some of those folks, couldn't you? Some of those bigger names who have a national platform, but it's absolutely ridiculous. But this is who, unfortunately, Jeremiah was coming against, and there was a plethora of them, okay? For they prophesy falsely. They prophesy falsely to you, to Israel, in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good towards you and cause you to return to this place. So what is God telling them? Sit down and relax. Enjoy. You're going to be here for 70 years. And at the end of 70 years, I'll release you. Who's the youngest person in here? Probably you, Anthony. How old are you, Anthony? 26 plus 70, 96. Hey, 96, you'll be released and you can build a future. What do you think? Sounds pretty promising, doesn't it? Hmm? But how everybody misinterprets that verse to the here and now. I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord, to give you a future and hope. Not for evil, but for good. What future? What 96 years, the rest of us are dead, Anthony. <laughs> what future is that? What's he talking about? What future? What hope? eternal. It's heavenly. It's not earthly. But we all, it's amazing how quickly people will interpret these truths of God in a fleshly way, a carnal way, temporal, earthly, physical. No, the promise he's making is eternal. Yes, there's a fate worse than death. It's a second death. But what Jesus has promised us, no matter how, you know, it's, it's unfortunate to see so many people losing their lives, so many innocents and so many children there's no children here today. How could anybody want a decapitated child, an infant? 
You heard about the pregnant woman and what they did to her? I won't even describe it because I can't. It's so awful. It's just, it's just awful. Animals. It's demonic. Demonic. Oh, boy. But, you know, I, I, I have a particular belief that before the children reach the age of accountability, what happens when they die, if they die before that age? Be with the Lord. Yeah. Nonetheless, back to Ezekiel 29. Yes, I will leave you, verse 5, in the wilderness, you and all the fish of your rivers, and you shall fall in an open field. You shall not be picked up or gathered. I have given you as food to the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens. Then all the inhabitants of Egypt shall know that I am the Lord. How, how do they know that? How is, the, how is the world one day very soon going to know that he's the Lord? How many of you read the Revelation? It's not revelations. It's not plural. It's one. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the unveiling of God. Right? Many of you have read that? You'll read that in the beginning as God begins to judge this world, this Christ-rejecting world. As God begins to judge them, just in one judgment, in one judgment, God destroys one-fourth of the world's population. How many people would that be today? About two billion. It's about approximately eight billion people on the planet. God destroys, God himself destroys one quarter. That's two billion people. Everybody talk about the, the God of the Old Testament being God of judgment? Woo-wee. You ain't seen nothing until you read the Revelation. So that leaves how many people? Six billion or three quarters, right? But then in the very next judgment, God says he's going to destroy now out of the remaining population one-third. So he's going to destroy now another third of what remains. So in just two judgments, how many people have God destroyed? Four billion, 50% of the planet. Who revealed this to John? Who specifically revealed this to the Apostle John on Patmos? Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ gave it to his angel, gave it to John. It came right from Jesus to the angel to John. Right from Jesus. Jesus is perfect love. You understand that? There's, there's, if, you, if, you, if you try to stand in judgment of God and his ways, then you're trying to stand in judgment of perfect love, and you can't. We don't know the mind of God. We don't know the heart of God. We, you know, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So far removed. But per, perfect love recorded for us. That he has to clean up the neighborhood for his kids that are going to repopulate the earth during that millennial reign of Christ. Nikki Haley, what a flip-flopper she is. You know, I didn't like her when she was our governor. I don't like her now. What did she flip-flop on recently? She wants to bring Gazans into the United States, Gazan refugees to the United States. And what would she be importing into the United States? Terrorists. terrorists. And more specifically, even if they're not terrorists, they're Jew haters. They're anti-Semitic. They grow up anti-Semitic. I grew up anti-Semitic as a Roman Catholic. I shared with you before, my family, we're not prejudiced. We're never prejudiced. Again, one group of people we were prejudiced against. And it wasn't you, Roger. It was the Jews. <laughs> yeah. Why? Because it was historic. They were the Christ killers. So they thought the libel against the Jews. They were the Christ killers. No, not so. But it's just amazing how 
Now, now, if you had a, a serial killer in your neighborhood, you surely wouldn't feel safe at night, would you? You'd want to deal with the problem, wouldn't you? Well, God, and I was, I was sharing with the hygienist today that there's a new world coming. In order for that new world to come about, God has to allow this world to be destroyed or come to its end. I don't ever want to go back to the way things were. I'm looking forward to the way things are going to be. Aren't you? Yeah. And so for that new world to come, this world has to die off. And when it does, God is going to displace it of those who would be a problem for his children. If you're trying to create a safe neighborhood, you'd make sure that undesirables weren't in your neighborhood, wouldn't you? I'll give you a childhood example. I grew up in, a, in a, I'm an Italian-American. I grew up in a very Italian community. And my best friend, one of my best friends, one of my good friends, Pauli de Coco, his father, uh, his uh, street name was Legs de Coco. Legs de Coco was a mafioso. And uh, he completely controlled that area of the, of the city. And we never had any crime problems, ever. You could leave your doors unlocked. You leave money on the seat of your car. I mean, you never had to worry because if something happened, they'd find out immediately and they'd deal with it. Okay? Now, I'm not advocating that. Believe me. I grew up in that in that very perverted culture, which affected me in a very perverted way, corrupted my mind for a long time. I'm thankful that God is continuing to straighten me out, and uh, one day I'll be completely fixed. It just won't be here. But if a mafioso would want to keep his neighborhood safe for his children and his family. Wouldn't that make sense that God would want to do that for his? And that's really what he's doing. He's cleaning the place up so that it'll be safe for his children. And I get so excited when I read about what the millennial kingdom is going to be like. Don't you? What, 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 do you, what warms your heart when you think about the millennial kingdom of Christ? Other than Christ being here, of course. Hmm? Agriculture. Oh, we're all going. We're all going to be on the farm. Praise the Lord. <laughs> well, those people who are in their flesh and blood bodies repopulating the earth, their, their principal activity is going to be agricultural. Everything's going to be organic, baby. <laughs> you hear that, Gail? Everything will be organic. And I think that's going to be wonderful. Every man sitting under his own vine, his own fig tree. Wow. I watched a movie the other night. It was called uh, A Million Miles Away. Anybody ever see that? A Million Miles Away. Oh. Anybody see that? Nobody's ever seen it? You've never seen a movie A Million Miles Oh, my goodness. It's a true story. You've got to see it. John Michael. A Million Miles Away. You've never seen it? Are you kidding me? Oh, man. This immigrant comes over here from Mexico. His father is an immigrant. They come into the United States to pick crops. And so uh, they, he and his children, his wife, they would go from town to town throughout the southern part of the United States working for these farmers. And then he'd have to go to Mexico. And they do this every year. And every year, they would, because it was cyclic, depending upon the growing season, uh, this little boy, one of his little boys, would be going to this one particular school each time he was in the area. And his teacher recognized he's a very gifted child. And this immigrant's son became an astronaut. You saw it? Isn't it marvelous? It's a true story. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry? Please watch it. 
It's a million miles away. From, from picking our fruit and vegetables, okay, as an immigrant and then becoming an astronaut, after the Challenger disaster, remember that? The next space flight, he was the second in command. Can you imagine such a thing? Hey, there's not opportunity in America for people who work hard, honest, apply themselves? Wow, fascinating story. Now, why do I say that, though? Because at the end of the film, they, have, they tell you a little bit about him, show you his, him and his father. And he says, and now, what was his name? Jose Hernandez. Jose Hernandez and his father are still picking grapes together. But they own the vineyard. Ah, but, but the Bible describes it. I don't know why I'm going there, but I just, my grandfather, you know, he, it's amazing what he could do in that little bit of a yard that we had and what he would grow, the grapes and the fig tree, the tomatoes and this and that. I mean, just amazing, you know? And they just had a gift, right? Their, their plants would just explode. With, I don't know how they did it, but they did it. I think things were different. Then. The soil was richer then. But can you imagine what it's going to be like? Wow. Picking plums as big as oranges. <laughs> and every man under his fig tree, every man under his vine, dwelling with his children and his children's children's children in peace. Wow. Could such a thing be? Yeah, that's what's coming. Wow. I, don't, I, don't, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't go any further than that. Let you sleep on that one tonight. Well, let's finish the chapter. Let's go further anyway, right? As we ended chapter 28, and he's talking about the judgment of Sidon, the last two verses, remember what we ended with there? In chapter 28? I'm sorry? Who will? Israel, look at that, it's amazing. Now, he talks about all this Gentile judgment, right? He's talking about six nations, Gentile nations being judged. And, and so at the very end of that, it almost seems, almost seems it's completely out of place. In chapter 20, verses 25 and 26, thus says the Lord God, when I have gathered the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they have been scattered, and I am hallowed in, the, in, in them, in the sight of the Gentiles, then they shall dwell in their own land, which I give to my servant Jacob, and they shall dwell safely there, build houses, plant vineyards. Yes, they will dwell securely when I execute judgments on all those around them who despise them. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Wow. We're, now, Ezekiel didn't understand this. You and I understand this. God's gone all the way out to the end of, end of our age. All the nations of the world despise Israel. You understand that? Listen, even, even our own nation right now, we're, we're, the only reason why we're in support of them is we don't want the terrorists here, and we don't want the terrorists committing acts of terror against us, right? But unfortunately, just as the world made a decision to sacrifice Jewish blood for Arab oil, the world is going to sacrifice Israel for a supposed peace. They're going to betray them. All the nations of the world will come against Jerusalem. That's, that's the promise God made. But God promises that he'll intervene and he'll protect them. And that's going to come very soon. And, and all Israel know that there's a God who watches over Israel, never slumbers nor sleeps. But all the Gentile nations will know that he is the Lord. And he's taken names and he's coming back. Right? <laughs> yeah. 
I love the promises in the Bible, particularly God's faithfulness towards Israel. Why? 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 Because those unilateral promises that God made, he said, I will, I will, I will, I will to Israel, are very similar in kind. Those are temporal, those are earthly, right? Have an earthly kingdom, but the promises he made to the church that are unilateral, I will, I will, I will, I will, are eternal, they're spiritual, they're heavenly. And just as God's promises will be kept towards the nation of Israel, God's promises will be kept towards you and I. It's a guarantee. It's a certainty. Isn't that wonderful? And we see all the It's going to get worse. It's, I don't know how much more we're going to see that could trouble our hearts. But don't let it trouble your mind. Keep your mind in the truth. And the truth will, will, will keep you stable. Keep you from becoming anxious. Why? Because the truth is God has promised us a future that we can't even imagine. And God will be faithful to complete. As we see God's faithfulness exercised in Israel, you can know his faithfulness towards you and I, his church. Amen? Then they shall know that I am the Lord, because I have a... Excuse me, hang on. Where was I? Mm. Yeah, verse 6. And all the inhabitants of Egypt shall know that I am the Lord because I have been a staff. Because they have been a staff of reed to the house of Israel when they took hold of them with the hand and broke and tore their shoulders. When they leaned upon them, you broke and made all of their backs quiver. What's he talking about there? They formed an alliance with an unworthy nation, untrustworthy nation. You can't trust them. We've tried to buy our friends throughout the world. How well have we done not very well, have we? All of our friends are abandoning us. Saudi Arabia, what have they done? They're, they're closing up to Russia and, and China. It's amazing. You can't buy your friends. Mm -mm. Loyalty is found over the depth of a relationship, and the relationship is developed over time, right? And so putting their trust in Egypt and all of this, these alliance of nations around Egypt was ridiculous for them because they would not be faithful to him. When they would lean upon this broken reed, right? You can't use a reed as a staff, can you? It doesn't make a good staff or walking stick. And when you lean upon it, it'll break. And when it breaks, the ends of it are sharp and it could go into your hand. Talk about leaning upon this staff. Maybe you need it to support you and all of a sudden it doesn't support you and you throw your shoulder out. You throw your shoulder out of joint or tear your rotator cuff. That's what he's talking about here. You ever do that? Tear your rotator cuff? Very painful. Hmm. I did it to my right shoulder, and I thought, geez, that wasn't right. I, you know, tried it again, I did it again to my left shoulder. <laughs> Therefore, thus says the Lord God, surely I will bring a sword upon you and cut you from man and beast. And the land of Egypt shall become desolate and a waste. Then they shall know that I am the Lord, because... He said, the river is mine, and I have made it. And that's exactly why he's coming, right? Self-made men love their creator. Is who? Self. Self. The biggest idol. Behind every idol, every false idol, there are no true idols, but behind every idol is the love of self. Self, of course. Indeed, therefore, I am against you and against your rivers, and I will make the land of Egypt utterly waste and desolate, Migdal to Sarin, as far as the border of Ethiopia. Sarin is at Ashwan. This is us from the far north to the far south. I'm going to destroy it. Neither foot of man shall pass through it, nor foot of beast pass through it, and it shall be uninhabited 40 years. Now, uh, if you look at what had taken place, 
um, Babylon was, would be the destroyer of Egypt. When Babylon came against Egypt, it was in 572 BC. When the Babylonian kingdom was replaced by the Medes and the Persians, Medes and the Persians. And, and who was the king that released the Jews to go back into the land? And he's the same king that released the Egyptians, the captives. When Babylon conquered a people, they would displace these people and bring them back to Babylon. And if you would settle in Babylon, become a good citizen of Babylon, you lived in peace and prosperity. And that's what they would do. So there were many of the, of the Egyptians, when they conquered over Egypt, that were carried back to Babylon, just like the Jews were. Now they had to resettle back into Babylon, but it would only be for how long? 40 years, 40 years. Now, when did I say Nebuchadnezzar did this? 572. Cyrus released the Egyptians to go back to Egypt in 539. But that's not 70 years. Well, it took them seven years to reestablish their, their society again. So that was the 40 years. At least that's what I read. You know, I wasn't there. <laughs> Verse 12, I will make the land of Egypt desolate in the midst of the countries that are desolate and among the cities that are laid waste. Her cities shall be desolate 40 years, and I shall scatter eat the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries. Yet... Thus says the Lord God, at the end of 40 years, I will gather the Egyptians from the peoples among whom they were scattered, and I will bring them back to the captives of Egypt and cause them to return into the land of Petros, into the land of their origin, and there they shall be a lowly kingdom. It shall be the lowliest of kingdoms. It shall never again exalt itself above the nations. Egypt has never become the nation that it was since that time. And I will diminish them so that they will not rule over the nations anymore. No longer shall it be the confidence of the house of Israel, but will remind them of their iniquity when they turn to follow them. Then they shall know what? I am the Lord. Now, uh, let's see. We've got time to go through this second oracle. All of these other oracles, how many oracles were there? Seven. 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 How many are dated? Six. Six of the seven are dated. Now, those that are dated, we see are in chronological order, okay? Except the second chronicle, this oracle. The second oracle is dated at, let's look at the text, uh, verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the 27th year, in the first month, on the first day of the month. When was that, Deborah? There you go. April 26, 571. That's it. Good girl. April 26, 571. Now, wait a minute. When was the previous oracle? January 5th, 587. 587. Wow, that's quite a difference, isn't it? And it's completely out of the chronological order of the rest of the oracles. Now, why is that? Well, it's because God is first describing the judgment that's coming upon Egypt. But now he places this here in, Jeremiah, in Ezekiel's prophecy so that you know who is the instrument of God's judgment? And who would that be? Well, let's look at the text. Chapter 29, verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the 27th year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, caused his army to labor strenuously against Tyre. Every head was made bald and every shoulder rubbed raw, yet neither he nor his army received wages from Tyre for the labor which they had expended on it. Now, God was using Babylon as his instrument of judgment. Babylon was far worse than his own people, weren't they? The northern kingdom of Israel, who, who destroyed them? 
the Assyrians, and the Assyrians were far worse than the Jews. But it's amazing, isn't it? God would use a people far worse than his own to judge his people. Now, judgment is permanent. Punishment is temporal, right? So when he's going to judge Assyria and judge Babylon, they will be no more. But he'll punish Israel, but they will continue to exist. Because they'll receive the punishment, but then God's going to restore them. Hmm? And, and so here we're describing that, that Babylon didn't receive its wages for what it did against Tyre on God's behalf. And so God is going to give them his wages in their conquest of Egypt. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, surely I will give the land of Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He shall take away their wealth, carry off their spoil, remove her pillage, and that will be the wages for his army. I have given him the land of Egypt for his labor because they worked for me, says the Lord God. That's, well, let's talk about that a minute. What if, what if, is it possible, could it possibly be, what if, God would use those who we think are enemies to punish us. What is this nonsense that Putin is giving Biden lessons on morality and gender and how to treat your children? I mean, he's a thug. I admit it. You know, he's a monster. But we're so confused. We're so messed up. We're so demonically influenced. We don't even know what marriage is anymore. We don't even know what a man is, a woman. We have a Supreme Court justice nominee. Describe for me, what is a woman? Can you tell me what a woman is? Well, I really couldn't understand. I, I, I couldn't have an explanation of that. Insane. Now, could it, could, it, could it possibly be that God would use our enemies to judge us? We, we were a shining light upon the hill. We were. I was sharing with someone the other day, I was just born too late, you know? I, I wish I was born around 41 or, or maybe 35. You know, after, after World War II, to be a young person growing up in this country, it, it, was, it was the best time, the best of times for America. Really, right after World War II. 46, yeah, 46. Is that when you were born? Yeah, you lucky stiff. <laughs> that was a great time to grow up in America. You two, Ed? 47, yeah. 37. I was born in 82. <laughs> no, no, but, but, you know, the rest of the world loved us. They did. They loved America. They loved Americans, and they loved America, and everybody wanted to be us, didn't they? They did. And, and how, how did it happen that everybody hates us? Because we come drunk in our prosperity and in our pride and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And make no mistake, Ruth Graham was absolutely right when Billy quoted her numerous times when he said, if God doesn't judge America... That's right. And that was Ruth Graham who said that. That if God doesn't judge America, he would need to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Because Billy knew the judgment had to come. And I know the judgment has to come. Do you know the judgment has to come? And we look at the prophetic scenario. There is no mention of us in end times Bible prophecy. We're just not relevant. We're not a player. So what happens? I don't know. Some people say, well, it's the rapture. 
you know, there are 205 million Christians in the United States. <laughs> uh, no. There are 205 million pretenders, make believers, right? But there are not 205 million Christians. No. The rapture is a non event, it's a rupture more than a rapture, you know. <laughs> you know what, what percentage of the church ties? What percentage of the church shares their faith on a regular basis? What percentage of pastors teach biblical prophecy? Oh. Oh, so maybe we should strive to become a two percenter. Right? That would be a good thing to do. Yeah. No, no, no. Make no mistake. We are a Christian in name only, but not in practice. Just as we're a democracy in name only, Israel's more of a democracy in practice than we are. You understand that? Yeah. No. I, 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 I do uh, fear that God will use our enemies to punish us severely. Because we knew him. He blessed us. Like no other nation, like no other people on the face of the earth, he blessed us. And we walked away from him, worshiping our idols. Baal, worship of materialism. Astra, the worship of sexual pleasure. Molech, abortion, child sacrifice. Nimash, finally, the occult. But those, those are false gods. But behind, behind all of those false gods, the manifestation of those gods were demons. That, that because of our rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ exercised the demons from Europe. Europe was under tremendous demonic influence. When Jesus came the first time, and you read the gospels, they're encountering demons every town they go in, practically, right? There's a demon around every corner. What in the world's going on? All of this increase in demonic activity just prior to the first coming of the Christ. But the Christ comes and the gospel is received. And all of this demonic influence is suppressed. The worst of the worst, well, we know where they are, right? They're in the abyss, locked up until Satan is body slammed to the earth and opens it up. Ooh, it's going to be bad then. But what suppressed that horde of demons that seduces us through materialism, sexual pleasure, child sacrifice, and, and eventually worship of the occult, or Satanism, is the gospel. And when the gospel went into Europe, Europe began to be sanctified because people received the truth of the gospel. And that negative spiritual influence, that demonic influence was gone now. You know what happened. To, I know what happened to me. The great demonic influence in my life, negative spiritual influence. Those things I will to do, I do not. Those things I will not to do, I do. A wretched man that I am who will save me. The gospel come into my heart. And I'm changed. I'm being changed. And I will be changed still. Hmm? Is that true? Now, that's what happened. But now, with the rejection of the truth, and that's what the Bible says, in the last days, they would be lovers of the pleasure rather than lovers of God, and they would believe the lie rather than have a love of the truth. And that's where they believe the lie. And therefore, we've invited all of these demonic influences. We're, we're, we all have the affluenza disease, right? And there's, there's no shot for that, is there? Affluenza. We're such an affluent society. We're so materialistic. 
you know, where you get 10 people can't be satisfied in a 10,000 square foot house. Two people, I mean. Two people in a 10,000 square foot house can't be satisfied. That's more house than my wife wants to clean. <laughs> sexual pleasure? We went through a sexual revolution in the 60s. Now, I grew up in that time. Wasn't good. Thought it was. I thought it was good. It wasn't good. It wasn't good. And now we have this homosexual revolution that began. And now God has given us completely over where we're out of our minds. You can't even think straight. Romans 1, you know, right? God gave them over to sexual, gave them over to homosexual, gave them over to a reprobate mind. Can't even think straight any longer. And now he's going to give us up. Not the church, not the body of Christ, right? We talk about the kingdom program of God. We talk about, we know which kingdom we're in now. Which, what is they would call that kingdom? The mystery kingdom. The mystery kingdom. And the mystery kingdom is described by one word. What is it? Christian dumb. With the emphasis upon the dumb. <laughs> Read Matthew 13 and all the parables Jesus gives of the mystery kingdom. And kingdom come, shall be like, shall be like, shall be like. Real doctrine, false doctrine. Real Christians, false Christians. Real growth, natural growth of the body, and a monstrosity that grows up. Okay? And that's what we have today. So we have Christendom, right, which is the mystery kingdom, which is where you have the wheat among the tares, which the majority of people are not believers, they're make-believers. But then you have the body of Christ, the true communion with the Lord, right, who recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ and try to live to the pleasure of his will every day. Each and every day. Now, the body of Christ is nothing to worry about. Is that not true? Yeah. No matter what may happen, our God is sovereign, and you have absolutely nothing to worry about if we're walking in his will. Confessing our sins daily. Why? Because he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all iniquity. What's iniquity? That dirty little heart that I've got, right? It's wonderful. There's a new world coming. Let's see, did we finish the chapter? We didn't. And I have given them into the hand of Egypt for his labor because they have worked for me, says the Lord. In that day, I will cause the horn of the house of Israel to spring forth. What's that horn mean? What's the horn represent? His power, his strength. I saw a 12-point buck in the Seabrook the other night. Beautiful buck. You know, now those horns represent his strength, his power. That's what he's talking about here. He's going to return the power and the strength to Israel. Now that's going out into the kingdom. And that day I will cause the horn of Israel to spring forth, and I will open your mouth to speak in their midst. Then they shall know what? I am the Lord. Jesus is the vine and you are the branches, right? He's the Lord. It's a glorious thing to know that you know that you know that you're his. And it's such a safe place to be, such a comforting place to be. Knowing none of us deserve it, do we? No. But we're so thankful for his forgiveness and his grace in our life. And listen to me, if you remember no, nothing else, remember this. As God has showed himself faithful to Israel, he will be certain to show himself faithful to the body of Christ. Amen? Amen.
David, do you have a closing song? Shall we stand? Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.